Hello and welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. We had it all planned out. We we're going to use this episode to chat about the first two games of the year, have a guest on to discuss a very interesting story that was written, and then UConn decided to go out and lay quite a large egg against NC State, lost their first game of the year, gave up their most points in regulation since 2001, falling 92-81. to 81. I think my favorite stat from this game is that when they played NC State two years ago in the Elite Eight in double overtime, NC State did not manage to score as many points in that game <laughs> as they had in this game. And I think that is a pretty good summation of what happened on Sunday. Yep, that would sum it up very well. They just could not find a way, it seemed, to get a stop through most of the game. Yeah, and, you know, even if the defense is bad for three quarters, you still scored 81 points. On a day where Gino said their offense wasn't particularly good, and it's funny to hear him say that their offense was a mess when they score 81 points, but in the context of the way it was supposed to operate. It was very stagnant. And that is something that seems to come up so often when UConn struggles is the offense stagnates. And it it really looked like that, especially because we'd seen the ball movement look so good during the exhibition, during essentially exhibition part two against Dayton, that it just bogged down. And it started looking like the start of the 2021-22 season where Paige had to score 30 every night because everyone was just standing around waiting for her to go do something. I'm just waiting for the hot day card article to come out that says UConn was actually better without Paige Beckers. (laughs) That would be quite the take. (laughs) Yeah, but the biggest thing I had with the defense is you can have a bad defensive performance, but if they just came up with a few stops here and there they could have been right in it to the final buzzer. And it wasn't a particularly close game down the stretch, but the the most points they gave up in any of the quarters was the fourth quarter. So that's the, the defense at large was a big problem, but also just the situational defense, the moments when if you really get a stop here, then the game starts to change. But it just felt like every time UConn started to get a little bit of momentum it left someone open for a wide open shot or it just couldn't get a stop. And some of that, you know, credit goes to NC state. That was not an unranked team. 14 feels pretty appropriate for them after one game. Sanaya rivers was incredible. She made some really tough shots, but even if your defense isn't fantastic, you have to find a way to get stops in those big moments and they couldn't get them at any point. Yeah, it felt like that way the whole fourth quarter. I think it was towards the end of the third quarter, the beginning of the fourth quarter, Aaliyah Edwards started getting going on the offensive end, and you're watching it, you're like, okay, this is could be like a turning point for UConn, right? Like, they could turn this around. It's only, I don't think it was like an eight-point game at the time. Like, it, it's, it's not out of reach. But even if you score, if you can't get a stop on the other end, it's really hard to turn a game like that around and that is exactly what happened they they managed to score i would say pretty consistently it felt like in the fourth quarter but then just could never come around come up with a stop on the other end to cut into that deficit yeah page backers can cover up a lot of flaws and then Aliyah edwards combined can too but this team is not designed to be carried by two players with a bunch of other role players no this is like yeah i think page backers is probably the head 
but then you've got plenty of others that you're counting on to make the rest of the machine work. That's, I think we've really fallen off the analogy there, but you understand what I'm saying. She's the number one. And then you're hoping to have a bunch of number twos, threes. You're maybe if you know who your number one scorer is going to be every night, if that's going to be paid or if page is going to be your number one creator, whether that's shots or that's assists, then you have like six others who you think could be your second, third, fourth, fifth scores on a given night. But it really felt like it was Paige. Aaliyah was very clearly in a secondary tier. Cadence, who we will get to. And then everyone else had a bad night. You can't have everyone have a bad night. One player, yeah, you can live with his if AZ shots aren't falling. She was getting plenty of open looks. And Caroline, if everything else is going well and Caroline's just not on, that's fine. Or if Aubrey just can't think, get things going, but all the guards are cooking, great. But when every single one of them, it's just not their night, that's when you talk about, I said this late in the game, but it needed to be one of those games where Paige Beckers took over to a point where no one could stop her. But even then, you still need stops on defense. Paige, given the circumstances, I don't, you can't ask more of Paige from that game. Paige is the last person on the list that you blame for that game. So it, it starts with the defense, and it's something that we kind of saw in Europe and we were a little worried about, but it was still early. And even in those blowout exhibition games, we still saw some cracks, and it feels like NC State really exposed them. Yeah, agreed. Um, I mean, I don't think it's like a full cause for panic yet. It is still very early, right? Like it's, it's November. We're talking about game two, but there's, I think, some some cracks that were there that are obvious, much more obvious now after having watched this game. There's not, it's not all negative. I think Paige Becker scoring 27 points on her first game back is a is a really good sign for where this team can go. But there's obviously a lot of things that need to be fixed in order for them to get there but you'd rather see this loss now than in January. Yeah, my big takeaway from this is that it felt like the exact type of loss that they needed. I'm curious, how much are you, you being the team, how much are they kind of buying into their own hype, drinking their own Kool-Aid? Because especially you watch LSU go down in that first game, and they may say they don't look at it. And it might not even be about the poll, but you you know you win this game you're probably going to be number one in the poll and you're looking ahead oh the team that won the national championship that everyone was talking about ahead of us they lost this is our time we just got to go do it and felt like this was a humbling experience that they i mean that i think we'll look back and say that they'll have needed but it depends on what they do against Maryland. If it's a lot of the same against Maryland and they still get a win, I don't think that would be all that convincing. Is a win better than a loss? I don't know. I think right now I'd rather see them play really well. And, you know, if Maryland just goes nuts and hits 15 threes on 20 attempts from the logo and there's nothing you can do to defend that, then, yeah, I think the way that Sunday was so bad, I'm more concerned about what the performance looks like instead of the result i would agree i think like, how they come out and how they start addressing the issues that you saw in sunday's game is way more important than the result i mean against maryland but again this this just next stretch of the schedule too i mean you've got minnesota on the weekend which 
it's not necessarily an easy game, but like it shouldn't be a problem even if people have bad nights. But then you've got UCLA in the Cayman Islands, you've got Kansas, you've got Texas. UNC is not long after that either. Like there is a really hard stretch of the schedule coming up here and a lot of things that need to be fixed at the same time. Yeah, we'll get back to the game in a second, but since you brought it up, how do you think UConn matches up to those teams and what are we going to learn about them after that stretch? I think it's hard to say how they're going to match up right now. I think, like you said it well at the when we did previous last week, like they're their own kind of hardest opponent and that like a lot of this stuff is fixable and like everyone can't have a big bad night again. And hopefully they learn that from that performance again at NC State and they can still be come out of that stretch fine. But I think we're going to look, regardless of what happens, we learn a lot about this team in that stretch. I think if we see like consistent improvement in the defense, particularly the rebounding, I think is a another major issue from the NC State game, then that's a good sign that this team is on the right track, kind of, I would say, regardless of what the outcome of those games is. I think it's more about how do some of these things that are issues, you know, look over those next few games. And if that includes a five-point loss to UCLA and a two-point loss to Texas on the road, I don't think that's the end of the world. Um, where I would be honestly be more concerned if they win the whole stretch, but they still look bad. I think that's more concerning. Yeah. Yeah. It, it It's going to be revealing. Even just Thursday is going to show us a lot because today we talked to the team and they were very adamant. Oh, yeah things are different we talked about it practice was really good yesterday and then gino comes in after the players and says you know people always say things after loss but it all that matters is that you show what you're saying so of course they're gonna say we're embarrassed by the loss we're angry about the loss no this is going to be a turning point for us what are they going to say no we don't really care (laughs) we're we're happy losing a game here and there it's not march whatever we have time to figure it out that's always what they're going to say after any loss. So this is going to be a really important one. Even just the mentality and the mindset. Once things stop going your way, there's going to be ebbs and flows to this game. It's not going to be one of those classic 50-point UConn wins where they just dominate from start to finish. Or like the Dayton game where they led for literally all 40 minutes because of the technical free throws before the game began. So... That is more what I'm looking at, that mentality, that mindset, as opposed to, like, yeah, the defense is important, the ball movement is important, the rebounding is important. But I think it all it all just comes back to them going into this game with the right attitude, and when that happens, I think everything else fixes itself. Like Gino said, you can teach people and you can talk about the environment, but the environment's not the reason you don't rotate on defense. At a certain point, it just becomes a choice. You didn't want to rotate. So, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll figure it out on Thursday, or at least we'll get a sense of where it's going on Thursday. I agree. I think we're going to get a really good idea on Thursday, and then I think we're going to get a much better idea next week when they're in the Cayman Islands as well. There's just two back-to-back tough games. I think we see a lot about what this team is, is made of in those as well. I even think we'll learn something let's say they come out tomorrow and they stomp maryland and it's not even particularly close then they go out and 
they they have a really good showing against UCLA. Whatever the final result is, I think a really interesting test is going to be how they do against Kansas because mm-hmm. you flip flop that. You know you got a tough Kansas team, then you play an even tougher UCLA team, but you get UCLA first. That's the big matchup. That who knows what they could be ranked, but a let's say top ten matchup by next week. One of those Thanksgiving tournaments, there's a lot on the line, in theory, I guess. But how do you respond to having that really tough game that is really easy to get up for, and then following it up with Kansas, who's no pushover, but is certainly not the same level as UCLA, where last year they clearly got up for South Carolina and they clearly did not for Marquette the next game, so... That, I think, will also be a really good test of just where this team is in terms of mental toughness and mental discipline and all those sorts of things because I'm really not worried about the defense and the rebounding and all of that. Even Gino kind of said it. Rebounding isn't about size. It's just about attitude, and they have a, paraphrasing, a bad attitude. So I think that's going to be the story with this year's team is just where's their head at because the talent is there. I'm not that concerned about the lack of height. I'm not that concerned about the rebounding. Can they just put it all together for every single game the way that we know that great UConn teams can? Yeah, I think it'll honestly even be evident against Minnesota this coming weekend. You've got this big Maryland game um, tomorrow, Thursday, and then that big UCLA game kind of coming a few days later. And what do they look like against this Minnesota team? And Obviously, with this Minnesota team, it's not as good a team as NC State. Like, you can afford – well, I don't want to say they can afford to have that type of performance because they might lose if they have that type of performance. But you don't have to be on a firing at all cylinders to win. But do they come up, come out with that attitude and try to, you know, have a better performance? And do they not let Marbron score 35 on them? Like, things like that. I think you'll be able to tell from that Minnesota game too. It's really good I'm not playing because for the life of me, I can't remember that that Minnesota game is happening. <laughs> I keep forgetting about it too because it's just like not to insult Minnesota. It's because I do think Marbrana is really good and obviously it's Paige Huff's homecoming game, but just in the scheme of like Maryland and UCLA and Kansas and Texas, it's, it's not as interesting. <laughs> and even just in the context of like the real world, Thanksgiving is coming up. Right. This is, there's like a lot going on this time of year. <laughs> We had that big game. We've got Maryland on a Thursday, which is like a weird night for a big game. And then it's a late Sunday night game. Oh, I hate the 630. It's because it's FS1. I know. In my head, it's been 7 o'clock all week. And then I went to go start writing my opponent preview right before this. And I was like, oh, shoot, this is at 630 tomorrow. That, like, throws a wrench in my plans of getting to gamble. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's a half hour. And it doesn't seem like a lot. But everything just throws it off it, it's just annoying because do you really need that half hour for television you can't just start the next game at eight thirty instead of eight yeah but those are the joys of playing on national television aren't they yes <laughs> and then it's like a weird time for minnesota too like normally those sunday games are during the day but that one is seven or eight right oh I didn't even look at that yet, honestly. Like I said, keep forgetting that it's happening. I mean, fair. Fair. (laughs) There's not a... I just... I don't dislike the idea of homecoming games. Oh, it's five. 
That's even yeah. weirder. Yeah. But nothing against like the concept of homecoming games. I think they're great. I like the stories beforehand. But like once the game starts, there's just no juice to them. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of agree. It's just like, unless they are able to play someone that's like a really good opponent for some reason. I feel like there was like a couple ones like was it when they went for like lose homecoming and they played like cal and cal was pretty good then like it was a decent game but 90 percent of the time it's just like yeah the game's kind of boring yeah didn't they go from nevada to or from cal to nevada for gabby williams or something yeah something. or no they went ucla to nevada uh, yeah, maybe that's what it was it was something like that they had some trip over thanksgiving where they were out west and then i mean the worst one is Toronto Metropolitan. Oh, yeah. I understand. It's not a real game. <laughs> no, it's an exhibition. It's not even an NCAA game. Yeah. <laughs> Might as well just drag the UConn club team up to Toronto with you and play them. <laughs> Which, like, I think it's because they're supposed to play Pitt. Pitt's coach got fired. That obviously blew up those plans. So how much can you make happen in a year? Last time it was Duquesne, and Duquesne had a million Canadian players on it, but I feel like that's a little bit of a hard sell. But then, like, I think Ball State's a little bit different because Nika's sister is literally going to be in the game Mm -hmm. as opposed to it just being, oh, lots of friends and family in the crowd and that sort of thing. So it's, it's not like it's got the juice to it. Agreed, yeah. But just... On a slight side note, God bless the women for having a mildly interesting schedule based on what the men have started the year with. The men's schedule might be just as bad as LSU's non-conference schedule. Like, on the, it's it's so bad. I haven't actually watched them play yet because I'm just not interested in them winning by 85 points or whatever. I sat through the entire game last night at the XL Center, and... They didn't even play well. Like, sometimes those blowouts can be fun because they look really good. Like, the... And, like, the opener... Okay, it's the opener. It's all the new guys. That's great. Stonehill in the second game. All right, you can play an easy team. Mississippi Valley State. There was nothing happening in that game. They all played terrible. I'm pretty sure Samson, LSU also played Mississippi Valley State this week. They did. <laughs> yes, <yeah>. correct. <laughs> and... Yeah, they'll have interesting games coming up with Indiana's at least like a good name, Louisville, Texas. That's at least a matchup. But then you go Manhattan, New Hampshire. Then you go straight to Kansas, North Carolina, Arkansas, Pine Pine Bluff, Gonzaga, and then you're into Big East play. But all these home games are just – why can't we play like a mildly interesting – mid-major that you you know you're gonna beat comfortably why do these all have to be the bottom of the barrel it's i literally stopped buying men's excel season tickets because of it because i'm like like four of my games are this east west nobody team that i don't care about watching them play like what am i paying all this money for yeah like then you get to biggies play and that's better but it's still not i mean every game in the big east is fine but i'm just so bored with that right now where what excitement is there to be like even indiana in theory they should beat indiana pretty handily yeah but it's at least a an opponent that has a pulse on the other side (laughs) yeah so 
if the women weren't playing, like, realistically, what, they beat Maryland by 15, 20? We don't think this is going to be that competitive of a game, right? No, I think NC State is a much better team than Maryland has looked so far. Yeah. NC State, like... They were... I I was surprised. I did not expect them to look like that, but I think they looked very good, and I've watched a lot of basketball in the last week, and I was impressed with them compared to... I don't think... I don't think they're, like, a Final Four team. Like, meaning I don't think they could, like, sneak into the Final Four, but I think they could be, like, a competitive Elite Eight game as, what, like, a four seed? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see them, like, getting to host the first two rounds somewhere, yeah. I can't get over the fact that UConn had to start Enish last year against Maryland on the road, and UConn (laughs) played better than Maryland did, all things considered. (laughs) Yeah, and that was a team that had Diamond Miller on it. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so... Whatever, like, the opposite of a Walmart version of something is... Like, like basically, Corey Close is the Walmart version of Brenda Freeze. Only because Brenda Freeze has a national championship, but Maryland is just a... is not a serious program. They haven't been for a very long time. They do this every year. People think they're going to be something, and they're not. Yeah. I agree. I'm not overly concerned about Maryland. I mean, I think they need to play. I think they're at risk if they play like they do on Sunday, did on Sunday, but I don't think that's going to happen. So I'm not. I'm not overly concerned. Even if they're fifty percent better than they were on Sunday, which is still not that encouraging, I think it's still a comfortable win. Especially you're at Gamble. It's not an insignificant yeah. factor that that crowd was pretty rabid down oh, yeah. in Raleigh. And Gino even said it. His team did not handle it well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. I don't, I don't think that's the reason they lost the game, but it's not insignificant. And I think and we're not really going to get a chance to see them have to handle that again until we get to probably like the Texas game. But there'll be other chances for them to, to figure that out during the season. The Cayman Islands game will be a different type of environment because playing in those ballrooms has got to be weird. Yeah. And I can't imagine there's going to be that many people in the Cayman Islands, considering how ridiculous it is to get there. Though the flights did drop, because I was still looking at it like a week ago. Like, hmm, I'm not going. (laughs) Well, I know what I'm doing after this podcast. (laughs) There was a flight that left, like, Thanksgiving morning and came back Monday out of, I think, like, JFK or Newark or something. That was, like, $500 round trip direct when I last looked. And I was very tucked in, but then convinced myself that I should not spend thousands of dollars to go to the Cayman Islands for Thanksgiving. <laughs> no, no. That's like... Why Why do these always have... Like, I understand why they're around Thanksgiving, but it's no. also really annoying. I know. But it's also why the flights are always so ridiculous for everything. Because it's like the most expensive week of the year to fly. Yeah. Why can't these be like first weekend of December trips? Mm-hmm. Then... It's right before Christmas, so you're not, like, interfering with the Christmas season as much. It's still nice and cold up here, so you have a reason that you want to go into the Caribbean or somewhere warm. Flights are generally cheap because people aren't traveling between the two holidays that much. I don't like it. Yep, same. (laughs) One of these days, though, I'm or one of these years... It was per- it was perfect down in the Bahamas because the men and the women were there. Yeah. That was like the stars aligned to go if you were going to go. 
Yeah. Or like last year when they were in the Portland in Portland and both were in Portland. Yeah. I would have loved to go to that. Thank you, flu. Get your flu shots. It's it's terrible if you get the flu. But anyways, back to actual basketball. Yes. One thing that really drove me nuts in the NC State game, and I I really try hard not to talk too much about who plays and who doesn't because you're not at practice and you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. But I just cannot understand Gino's substitution usage against nc state especially in the second half ice i don't think ice played in the second half or if she did it was a marginal amount that really didn't amount to anything ice didn't play in the second half kk arnold only played a handful of minutes three or four ashlyn shade didn't play at all why does the bench suddenly vanish when it's a close game when it's not like we're talking about the starting five was part of the shootout and those were your players trying to keep your team in the game. Caroline had a bad game. AZ couldn't hit a shot. Aubrey didn't play well. So you're rolling with Paige, Aaliyah, and Aaliyah didn't really play that great until the fourth quarter. Right. So like, I understand these are your best players. You stick with them. It worked out for Aaliyah, but at AZ's making shots. But the thing with AZ is... All right, I understand why you want to keep her in the game because one shot falls, okay, all of a sudden they might all start falling. The momentum is in your end of the court, and that's when the game flips. But when things aren't going, just put her on the bench for two minutes. See if a short stint on the bench right before one of those media timeouts or the end of a quarter, just see if that can help reset her a little bit, let her catch her breath, let her do whatever she needs to do to get back on track and go give Ashlyn two, three minutes to go see if she can do something. The Ashlyn not playing one, I think is the one that confuses me the most because Gino said she looked the best of all the freshmen in the secret scrimmage against Syracuse. I thought she was perfectly fine in the two outings against Southern and Dayton. Is she really so much of a liability, especially she works hard. She can probably give you something on the defensive end. Why is there none of her? And then KK, I thought, looked perfectly fine when she was in there for the three minutes or four minutes in the second half. Just give Nika a breather. Go give someone a breather. See if she can go create something on the defensive end and get things going because she just makes plays on both ends of the court. And you can't grab a rebound. Yeah, Ice didn't look good in the first half, obviously. Was she such a lost cause mentally or something that she didn't deserve any playing time in the second half? Why not put her and Ali on the court at the same time and see if one of those two can grab a rebound? Do, like, I just don't like totally eliminating the bench when it's not like the players on the floor are doing anything all that special either. You had maybe there's a good explanation that we just don't know but i would have at least liked to see something and it makes me feel like this is the arizona game all over again in the (laughs) final four where they can't hit an outside shot and i'm screaming to put Anna makara in the game because we have seen her just catch fire in the past before maybe she does maybe she doesn't you only need to try it out for five minutes not like anything else is working better and 
what doesn't make sense to me is Gino was saying that he's just currently experimenting to see what he likes in the lineup. And when someone else goes on the floor, it changes the dynamic to only really completely go back on that once the bullets really start flying, once they become live. So that, I think, the defense, I think that'll get cleaned up. The rebounding, the the stagnation... If you are concerned about UConn not fixing the basketball problems and you've been watching this team for the last 10, 15, 20, 25, 40 years, I really don't know what to tell you. But why is the depth not being used when that is arguably one of the biggest strengths of this team? Yeah, I also thought that was really interesting, especially because I thought there was a stretch and I think it was at like that end of the first quarter when they kind of went on that run and pulled away a little bit that it was Nika, KK, Cadence, Aubrey, and Aaliyah I think were the five players on the floor and I thought that was some of the best they looked all game especially on the defensive end and then I don't think we ever saw that lineup again for the rest of the game so maybe Gina saw something that I didn't that he didn't like but I thought they were able to get some stops with that lineup they still had things moving on on offense and then but then you never kind of saw that, and you never really saw KK in the second half. I thought it was baffling as well. Obviously, like you said, we don't know what's going on in practice and in the locker room and everything else, but it was interesting that the rotation kind of stopped in the, in the last part of the game. And I think it's one thing if everyone was performing at a good level, but when everyone's struggling, why not try something new? Yeah, and it's not like you have to blow it up for tonight or for tomorrow night where oh caroline had a bad game bench her az had a bad game bench her no just we're just talking about this one game where mix and match see if something happens gee why did cadence have a good game because she got a shot out there yeah he put her out there she started making shots and she stayed out there that's great i have no problem with the minutes that cadence played because you got there because of what she did when she got that moment but we're also talking about I mean, we were essentially talking about all freshmen that didn't come in here, right? Mm-hmm. These, This is their first experience to a big college basketball game. I'm not that surprised that maybe Ice got a little shell-shocked in that first half. Or maybe that happened to Ashlyn. I remember my thought with Ashlyn is Gino said going into Anna Makarot's freshman year, to mention her again, that going into the first game, he was like, pretty confident that Anna was going to start. Then all of a sudden the starting lineups come out and Kyla Irwin's in there instead of Anna. And his explanation was basically, he looked at Anna's face before the game and was like, oh man, she looks like she's about to puke and isn't going to be ready for this. So that's why he didn't start her that game. So did Ashlyn just, I wasn't there for warmups. Was she just so shook? by the atmosphere and the crowd that he just didn't think that she could handle anything out there and it was just going to be a disaster and it was going to torture confidence or, you know, say the same thing for any of the other freshmen. Maybe it's like that, but it's just the number one thing I wrote about after the game against Dayton. My number one takeaway was, wow, look at all that depth. Six different players reached double figures. And this was a stat I loved that I heard on the radio broadcast. 10 players scored in the Dayton game. Last year, they only had one game where 10 people played. 
Yeah, so, that was from the Hoop's Dad's game notes for ESPN, which I wrote. Aha, <laughs> uh-huh, there we go. So that's a good number. Yeah. Oh, so was that the TV broadcast then? Maybe I yeah, thought I heard TV. it on the Okay. Yeah, well, great stat from the TV broad that I heard from the TV broadcast via Megan. I was completely unaware that you did that stat. That's a great stat. I love that stat. But that just shows you what this team's depth can be. And yeah, it it it's going to be hard when your three of your best players all have bad nights. But look at what Cadence did. He's talked about how Cadence is fearless, but he's also talked about how KK is fearless and how. He lets KK shoot whatever she wants because she hits a lot from three. This is not like me sitting here pounding the table saying that Nesh should have been in there. Amari should have been in there. No. The kids that we've already seen that have done well already. Why? I like I'm I more just want the explanation why. And I hesitate to even ask Gino that because he sometimes gets very defensive about his player usage and I don't know if you will even get a good answer and I so, yeah, from a my own personal feelings, that's what drove me nuts in this game more than anything. So the basketball stuff will get figured out. Yeah, it will. And I know a lot of like people on Twitter, at least my mentions, were a disaster after the game. were in like full panic mode, but like you said, the basketball stuff will get fixed. And more than anything, it's like UConn five, ten years ago, yeah, you had the most talented team in the country and everyone else was so behind on talent that, like, 90% of the team could have an awful day and you would still win. Like, that's just not the case anymore. And that's a good thing. It's, it's not, doesn't need to be a cause for panic. Yeah, and Gino's kind of mentioned this a few times, but I think it's just worth mentioning again how insane the decade of the 2010s essentially was, but you go from two of the greatest collegiate teams ever, the only teams to win back-to-back undefeated national championships. Then you have Maya Moore's senior year where she sets the program record for scoring in a game. They get to the final four. They come up short. Oh, well. they Pretty insane that they lose Maya Moore and get back to the final four the next year. Doesn't feel like that should happen. Then who cares about what happened during the 2013 regular season because they won the national championship that year. (laughs) Then you just enter the fairyland world of the Brianna Stewart era where they lost a single game her last three years. And then you go into two regular seasons after that where they go undefeated until they lose in the final four. And then the next year they get back to the final four and just blow a lead in the fourth quarter. And now we've kind of entered real life again. But that is what? So from 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. That is actually literally 10 years where UConn is operating in a completely different sphere than the rest of the country. And not even the rest of the country, than the rest of the sports world. We're talking about an unbelievable level of domination and success that... Let's not forget that wasn't happening before. Obviously, yeah, you had the 2002 team that probably the best team in NCAA history. And 95 went undefeated, but you had those years after 95 where it didn't always go well. And you won in 2000. Just a wildly interesting championship for UConn on a sidebar. Then 2001, you've come up short, but you have a million injuries. And then you win those three straight, but 
it's not like the two years where Diana just put the team on her back were always smooth. And you have the Dark Ages. It was never just pure start-to-finish domination from 95 until 2007. And then they just... 2008. Then they just hit a different level that we will never see again. We've never seen before. And now they're kind of going... They're, they're at a level below where they had been historically, even relative to the Stewie teams, but I think people are just kind of in the Stewie, those 10 years mindset where UConn should be going undefeated and winning every game comfortably. And you kind of forget that it's not always that easy. And sometimes it takes time. And Gino had no trouble reminding everyone that they have a lot of new players on this year's team. And you even just look at their top six players. That is Nika trying to figure out what her role is this year. Caroline missed a lot of last year. AZ missed a lot of last year. Aaliyah, we know what she can do, but she's still kind of finding her way as the number one and right now the only big on this team. Paige, that one's self-explanatory. Aubrey, she's got her set of issues and then a bunch of new kids. So that is just a really long rant to say that I think when Gino, there's a lot of things that Gino says that I kind of raise a little bit of an eyebrow at, and it feels like it's grouchy old man talking. But whenever he mentions that they were just in a fantasy land with Stewie, I think that one really hits because it just blew expectations completely out of proportion. And that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be national championship or bust or that the NC State performance should be acceptable but just let's realize that those type of games happen and can be learned from and this does not mean the season is over so that is just a really long rant that uh, had been on my mind today yeah and i think the important point that you made in there too about like how everyone you know how these issues last season and stuff like on paper yes this team is a bunch of like upperclassmen but like i mean even like az right she played I'm looking at it right now, 40 games total in her first two seasons. That's basically the equivalent of, like, one season. So, like, yeah, all these players are upperclassmen on paper, but they've missed so much time that it's really almost like this team's a little younger than it looks on paper. Yeah, Paige is... Is Paige really... Like, she's in her fourth year at UConn, is, but is she... I guess she's more of a, a junior than a sophomore, but she's still not totally a junior. Yeah. So, yeah, this there's there's a lot of things that need to work it, itself out on top of integrating all the new guys, but I don't think we've ever seen a UConn team have this level of talent and not put it all together. So, yeah, they, they have things to work on, but there's a a literal backlog of 40 years to tell us that things will figure itself out. So we've got two games coming up before we record again, simply for the purpose of this podcast. I hope everything goes to plan so that we can have our guest on next week, because I think that'll be a really interesting conversation. And at the very least, two interesting games to talk about. But what are your expectations for, the two M's, Maryland, Minnesota, performance, results, individuals, all of that. Give me a 
a forecast of what you're anticipating we'll be talking about next time on this podcast. Yeah, I expect them to bounce back against Maryland, like we kind of alluded to. I don't think it's as tough of an opponent. They're coming off that loss. I think it's easy to be angry for the one game after and, and make that known on the court and play how we expect them to. So I expect the Maryland game to go well and then to win it. I'm interested to see what they do at Minnesota. Not that I think they're at risk of losing that game, but just how they look, like we were saying earlier, with like it kind of being sandwiched between um, that Maryland game and the UCLA game. Interested to see how they guard Mar Braun just because of like what um, Sonia Rivers was able to do against them. So I'm, I'm interested to see kind of how the defense adapts to a player like her. But I'm expecting two wins. I don't really have an opinion on what's going to happen when they get to the Cayman Islands until after I see these two games. So, Yeah, that's for next episode. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, the eye test is going to look a lot better against Maryland simply because I just don't think that AZ, Caroline, and Aubrey are all going to be bad again. I could see this being one of those AZ games where the shots just start coming and they start coming and she ends up with 25 points or something. I think it could be a big bounce back for her. And we probably get more of the bench. I don't think it's just going to get pulled to the smallest loop like it was down at NC State. I think, yeah, everything looks good. The warning signs are over. DEFCON moves back down a level. I think Minnesota is probably going to be ugly, though, because this team already has... I mean, we're talking about like two years now where this team has a bad habit of relying too much on Paige. So you're going to have that on top of this being Paige's homecoming. I could really see them stagnating and just wanting Paige to do everything in front of her home fans. And Paige maybe not playing a ton because Gino's going to get pissed and he's going to have to put Paige on the bench so that everyone else has to figure it out. And then it's going to get into like the third quarter. They'll be up 15 and then Paige can just go out there and do her thing. So yeah, I think Maryland will ease a lot of concerns and Minnesota will bring some of them back. Yeah, I think that's fair. They're not going to fix everything overnight, but I think trending in the right direction is what's important. My last thought is the NC State game had so many similar vibes to the Arkansas one during the COVID (laughs) year. Really bad defense. Another team goes off. You only have a few players playing well. That one ended up being closer, but it also helped them. It was very much a wake-up call for them. They pointed to that going into the Final Four is when their season turned around. And I I could very much see the same thing happening this year with NC State. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm hoping more for that than the like vibes after like the Marquette or like the St. John's loss last year where things didn't really turn around. Gino is literally just throwing his hands up and saying, I don't know what happened against Marquette. Never something you want to hear from the coach. Yep. <laughs> it is much less concerning, obviously, though, for them to have this kind of loss in November than it was when it was January and February last year. Essentially, their season opener. That is essentially what this was. I mean, 
look at what the men's basketball team just did. I think they had a secret scrimmage, but they opened up with three garbage opponents. UConn's played Syracuse, they've played Dayton, and they played Southern in between those two. So they basically had three... I mean, I don't know what you call Syracuse, but you had two really easy games, and then you played a tough one. This is the first time that we got to learn about anything about what UConn's made of, and right now it's not much. But if if they get the mentality right, everything else will follow. On that note, that'll do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. Thanks for listening.